The Packers get the number one seed. The Bucs continue to roll. Huge weekend for college football, and we've got it all coming up next. It's the first show of the new year. It's the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer. Here we go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in, everyone, to the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Apple, Google, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Glad to have you with us. Our thanks, as always, to Soul Boxer for being our presenting sponsor, crafting and bottling bartender quality cocktails you can enjoy anywhere, the bourbon old-fashioned, the brandy old-fashioned, the Manhattan, all crafted to remain true to their supper club origins on today's podcast we're talking the nfl obviously with the packers winning the number one seed in the nfc so we'll get to that with their game uh, up against the minnesota vikings a little bit later we'll talk some college football a big week with bowl games and then obviously the talk of the town being with kirk herbstreet and Desmond Howard and what they said on College Game Day. We'll talk about that. And then at the end of the show, the Milwaukee Bucks continue their winning ways, a big win on New Year's Day against the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Giannis with a big outing, the whole nine yards. So we'll get to that to wrap up today's show. But we start with the NFL, and we start with our Green Bay Packers. The Packers getting the victory last night against the Minnesota Vikings, 37-10 to at Lambeau Field. As one reporter said, it was a frigid Lambeau Field. No, sir, I'm telling you, it was outright cold in Green Bay last night, but the Packers come away with the win. Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers. He goes 29 of 38 for 288 yards and two touchdowns. 211 of those yards come in the first half, and I think that's relevant in two different scenarios. Number one, the fact that Aaron Rodgers has had some slow starts since the toe injury. And I'm a firm believer that those slow starts have been in effect because he's been unable to practice. So suddenly you're getting into game mode and you've got to get your timing down. You've got to get yourself reacclimated, all of the things. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, so to speak, it, it only takes a couple of drives before everything clicks back together. So if you watch over the last three or four games, that first quarter, he's underthrowing, overthrowing, he's missing targets, again, trying to get back into the field, and then suddenly it clicks. Usually somewhere around the end of the first quarter, especially though by the beginning of the second quarter, he's in essence back. So having these two weeks off, 
because I firmly believe he will not be playing next week against the Detroit Lions. I think we're going to get a complete game of Jordan Love running the offense, and I think we're going to get a lot of guys being rested trying to get healthy as you make your way into the playoffs. Now, for me, it's twofold again. I seem to be on the twofold two-scenario thing so far here to kick off 2022. Uh, when we look at something I had talked about in a previous podcast, which is momentum, the fact that the Packers have had to keep their foot on the gas to get the number one seed, which they did yesterday by beating the Vikings, I thought was a good thing because it maintained momentum heading into the playoffs. Well, now you've secured it, and now you have the ability to rest people. And now suddenly the fact that you have the ability to rest people somewhat frightens me and it all goes to momentum if you can sit Aaron Rodgers for next week and then obviously the bye week with having the number one seed and that foot gets healthier obviously that's a good thing but there is something not on the analytic chart which I firmly look at and that is momentum now I'm looking at other teams in the NFC there's not a lot of teams in the NFC who are going into the playoffs with a great deal of momentum. Find me one. The Rams are struggling. They barely get by the Ravens 20-19. to We watched Tampa Bay barely get by the Jets 28-24, to and the circus that became that game uh, with Antonio Brown, which we'll touch upon in a moment. There aren't a lot of teams in the NFC right now that have a great deal of momentum. Dallas losing yesterday to Arizona, which helped us secure the number one seed in the fashion that we did, that team is up and down. They're all scary, but they're up and down. And the Arizona Cardinals, I, I tell me anybody who can figure out the Arizona Cardinals. With the talent that they have, one week you cannot beat the Detroit Lions, and the next week you can go into Dallas and beat the Cowboys on their home field. Arizona is just strange to me. That can be scary. Teams teams that are, in essence, strange can be scary. But I don't see anybody in the NFC going into the playoffs with a great deal of momentum. So maybe that's a good thing then for Green Bay. And maybe my concern about momentum is not necessarily uh, as great as it would be if you had a red-hot team rolling through like maybe on the AFC side with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals, I don't necessarily believe, are Super Bowl contenders, but they're red hot. And there's something to be said about a team that goes into the playoffs red hot. So we'll see if maybe that theory will use the Cincinnati Bengals as our hypothesis and, and kind of keep an eye on them and seeing how they make their way through the playoff run, whether momentum plays as big of a factor as I think it might. So yesterday, with regards to the NFL, we know the entire Antonio Brown story by now. You have to be living under a rock almost not to know about it. The fact that in the third quarter, he had a meltdown, took off his pads, threw his shirt, gloves, wristband into the crowd, ran off the field waving, and got into the locker room, apparently changed, jumped into a car, and off he was. I'll just say this about Antonio Brown, and that is 
he seemingly needs some sort of assistance. And the NFL now has time to essentially put up or shut up. We see the NFL time and time again when instances happen, get the PR machine rolling, put some money into various charities that are there to assist those within whatever the instance might be, use it as a PR, I don't want to say gimmick, but as a platform, as the league continues to move forward. Well, now you've got one of your own who melted down in the course of a game. And and the reasons behind it, who knows? I mean, Antonio Brown needed eight more catches to have a $333,000 bonus. This is by the end of the year. He would have had that. He needed 55 receiving yards to get another 333000 He would have gotten that. He needed one more touchdown to get another 333000 All of those that I just mentioned were attainable for Antonio Brown to unlock another million dollars to his salary. And the meltdown that occurred yesterday will prevent that because, as Bruce Arian said at the end of the game, he is no longer a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So the NFL, and it's hard. I, I'm not saying this is easy. We're not, we're not dealing with a child here. You're dealing with a grown-up who can make their own choices seemingly. So you can't necessarily you know, have the horses ride in and pick somebody up and take them to get the help that they seemingly need. But if the NFL is true to a lot of the things they speak of, this is a time and a place for them to step in. And it doesn't have to be public, but this is a time and a place for them to step in and get somebody like Antonio Brown some sort of assistance because something obviously is not right. And it has not been right for a long time. But Antonio Brown is an exceptional athlete, so things get swept over into the corner until they blow up. And then when they blow up, We want to blame this, that, and the other thing. Okay, let's put the blame game away. Let's realize that there's an issue here and that something needs to be done as far as help goes for somebody like Antonio Brown. So the NFL has one more week to go. As we said, we expect to get a whole lot of Jordan Love next week against the Detroit Lions, which will be interesting. We know what happened against Kansas City. Looked a little uh, shell-shocked be it out there. Some of the throws weren't necessarily where they were, but now he's had a game under his belt, and if he gets this game like we anticipate he will against Detroit, it'll good to, to see at least how he has hopefully progressed since that Kansas City Chiefs game. Also, we get Aaron Rodgers and probably Devontae Adams, and you can go right down the line. A number of starters aren't going to be playing on that final game against the Detroit Lions in order to help rest. And that then all bodes back to my theory on momentum. So a lot of of storylines moving forward with only one week of the regular season remaining. All right, let's get to a little break here, a quick timeout. And on the other side, we're going to get into college football. But before we get into the bowl games, let's talk about what occurred on College Game Day with Kirk Herbstreet and 
Desmond Howard and some comments that they made regarding today's college football athlete, shall we say? And it drew a firestorm, but let's let's take our own perspective at it and we'll do so in just a sec. Let's talk about some college football. It was a busy weekend, much like the NFL yesterday. College football had its day in the sun on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And for Badger fans, it was even New Year's Eve Eve, if I can say it that way. On Thursday, a lot of college football to cover. However, during the pregame of the Rose Bowl, during college game day, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, created a bit of a firestorm over some comments that they made. The comments were made in and around players opting out of bowl games. And so I wanted to piggyback on those comments, make some comments in turn before we get into the bowl games. But first, I think it's important we hear exactly what Desmond Howard and Kirk Herbstreet had to say. This is courtesy of YouTube and ESPN money the amount of money like what's the difference as a player in saying these games are meaningless when Des we played in quote-unquote meaningless games I mean I know you guys were right. here a lot but I just don't understand if you don't make it to the playoff how is it meaningless to play football and compete isn't that what we do as right. football players we we compete so yeah. I, I don't know if cha- I don't know if changing and expanding it yeah. is going to ch- change anything I really don't I think this era of player just doesn't love football that's what I was about to say. We're dealing with a total men- different mentality when we're dealing with these um, student-athletes nowadays, especially the football players. I mean, their whole mentality right now is about the championship, the playoff. We got to get into the, the CFB or the CFP. And because of that, they don't value the bowl games. Now, when we were coming up, Herb Street and myself, like to go to a bowl game was a huge reward for a fantastic season. That's what it meant. It's like, okay, your team played this well, so you're going to be rewarded by going to this bowl game. You're going to get a ring. You're going to get swag. Now, kids don't really care about that. They're, they're, they, they have a sense of entitlement. And it's like if we're not going to the one that matters, then, you know, it just doesn't have as much value to them as it did us growing up. I think it, So there is a difference with the player today and the player of Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard's generation and generations prior to that. The system has changed. And because the system has changed, the way we view certain things has to evolve with it. Case in point, Kirk and Desmond are talking about meaningless bowl games. I would argue when they were playing, the bowl games weren't meaningless because, A, we had... A poll. Now, remember, before the college football playoffs, polls decided who would be the national champion. Sometimes we had co-national champions because 
the poll, the AP poll, and the coaches poll were two separate entities. And because they were two separate entities, you you ran the risk sometimes of having co-champions. So bowl games had more meaning because it was the last time the people that voted on those polls had a chance to see you in action. So if you're playing in the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, it meant something because you had to go out there and A, win the game, but B, try and do so convincingly because if you did so convincingly, it would then bode well in the eyes of the voters and then you had a shot at a national championship. The system has changed. We now have a college football playoff system. We have teams that go head-to-head with one another, and the winner is crowned national champion. Now, here's where I will disagree with the guys on college game day. First of all, before we get into the disagreements, I think both of their comments came not from a place of ill will. I really think watching college game day over the years, even uh, throughout the bowl season this year, these guys have a passion for college football. And so you're seeing, again, it evolve, and sometimes it's hard to wrap around your arms around what's taking place. So when you hear the fact that Kirk Herbstreet says, you know, I think if we expand the playoff system, I don't think this will change. It will definitely change because now, once again, where bowl games were meaningful in your generation, if we utilize those bowl games as part of the playoff system, they become meaningful to this generation. Secondly, Desmond Howard was talking about today's athlete being entitled. I would argue that it wasn't the fact that these athletes are entitled. I would argue that they're empowered. Complete difference. If they felt entitled, they would tag along with these teams. They would stand on the sidelines. They would have already worked out the arrangement with the coaching staff that they would not play, but they would tag along to get all of the swag that Desmond Howard referred to. Take the free trip. Take all of the amenities that come with playing in a bowl game. That's entitlement. What today's player has is empowerment. And being empowered, they have the ability now, because the system again has changed, to make decisions for their own well-being. Sometimes those decisions are ill-advised, depending on who they surround themselves with, but it's their decision and not anybody else's. Does anybody want to go back to when Joe Thomas played in the Outback Bowl and, and had the knee injury? And, and think about what could have been. Now, Joe Thomas had a Hall of Fame career with the Cleveland Browns. But that knee injury could have proved a cornerstone in the fact of whether or not he ended up playing in the NFL. It worked out in his favor. Many of these injuries probably work out in the favor of the athlete in the long run. 
but with the millions of dollars at stake. And something we'll talk about in the next segment when we get into the actual bowl games themselves. When Matt Corral went down for Old Miss, the firestorm was set off again. Players have the right to decide, like a Matt Corral, I'm going to play. I want to I create a legacy at Ole Miss. I want to be the quarterback of the first team that wins 11 games. But in doing so, I'm running the risk of potentially being injured. Now, as we put this podcast together, fortunately for Matt Corral, it sounds like, you know, when we're talking about somebody else's injury, we can say things like this, but it sounds as if it's nothing more serious at this point than a sprained ankle. A severely sprained ankle, but a sprained ankle. So his stock, as far as the draft goes, doesn't appear as if it's going to drop much, if at all. But what if it was more serious? What if it, instead of an ankle, we're talking about a knee? These are decisions these athletes have to make. And please don't give me they owe the university, they owe the coach. Because we've seen time and time again the university turn their backs on athletes. We've seen coaches, like we've talked about before, hashtag Brian Kelly, leave their team. And Brian Kelly left his team with a potential playoff berth at stake. It's a decision they have to make. And again, we'll talk more about this in the next segment when we get into the bowl games. But look at the receivers that stepped up for Ohio State when their two leading receivers decided to opt out as they're getting ready for the NFL draft. It will work out. It's different. So to compare today's bowl games with the bowl games of the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, you can't do it. You just can't. It's a different day and age. Now I will say this, and I want to wrap this up because I want to get into the actual bowl games, but I will say this. The presidents that are sitting around the table that are getting ready to figure out how the college football playoff system will evolve and expand, and you know it will. There's too much money at stake. There's a reason why college basketball expanded to what? What are we at now, 69 with the play-in games? There is a reason why it has grown to that. It's money. We can talk about giving athletes an opportunity. Yes, it does, but it's about money. If the college football playoff system as it stands right now expands there will be more money in the coffers for these university presidents to get their hands on when they do so include these traditional bowl games one of the hang-ups right now to expansion is the rose bowl the rose bowl wants to remain on new year's day it is the granddaddy of all the bowl games they like their parade they, the, all the tradition around the rose bowl they want to keep intact you can't tell me that a group of presidents with a bunch of PhDs in their back pockets can't sit around a table and figure out how to expand the playoff system and keep something like the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day, the granddaddy being the only game being played at that point and making that part of the playoff system. I, I just, I, I, I don't buy it. It has, it, you, you know you can get it done. It's going to take a little work. Just get it done. So I know the guys from College Game Day caught a lot of flack over their comments. I think it came from a place of wanting to see. It's, it's that nostalgia. They want to see the games be like the games used to be. The, pr 
problem is the game as it stands right now, as I've said before, has evolved. And so with the new playoffs potentially coming and the bowl games, things are going to have to evolve together. It can be done. It's going to take some people utilizing that brain power that they possess coming together and making it happen. All right. I need to take a break. I need to catch my breath. Let's take a break. On the other side of the break, let's talk about those bowl games that took place, as I said, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And for the Badgers, the New Year's Eve Eve game. And we'll do it on the other side of this. Welcome back in. Let's talk about some of those bowl games that took place, and we had a bunch of them, obviously, as we always do, and as we talked about in the last podcast, can't get enough as we wrap up the college football season, but we got into what what my pops would call the meat and potatoes of the season as we worked our way into New Year's Day, but we start with New Year's Eve as we get the college football semifinals, and really what we got were a couple of games that, again, somewhat disappoint in the fact that since the college football playoff has been initiated, we've only had three games that have been completed where the final score was within seven points of one another. For whatever reason, when we get to the semifinals, we get blowouts. And we got blowouts again on New Year's Eve. The problem was the team that I think everybody thought was going to get run out of the the dome, so to speak, was going to be Cincinnati. Cincinnati loses to Alabama 27-6. Now, in losing to Alabama by that final score, it doesn't give a true assessment of how that game played. That was a two-score game for most of the entirety of it. Towards the, towards the end, Alabama gets a couple of touchdowns. They pull away, and you get that 27-6 final. Alabama went old school. Nick Saban. Nick Saban is 70 years old, and Nick Saban is probably one of the most adaptive coaches that you'll find in college football, and it's one of the reasons he's as successful as he is. So Nick Saban, who with Chase Young, you thought was going to just throw the rock around the field, went old school and absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. And you saw that in the very first drive, 11 plays, in which Alabama ran the ball 10 times. It wasn't until the 11th play, a play-action pass, in which they scored their first touchdown. Since he responds, but they only come away with a field goal. And right there you had the notion that Cincinnati was A, going to make it a game, but B, didn't have the depth that Alabama has. And in doing so, offensively, they couldn't get anything going. Now, there is one thing with Cincinnati, though. Cincinnati, for whatever reason, over that two-week period of practice, you get the idea that 
They refined their offense, but they didn't add any wrinkles. And I think that's what a team like Cincinnati was really going to need to beat in Alabama was to throw wrinkles into their offense. And it didn't appear they did that. It appeared outward, outwardly, he says five times fast, that they simply kept refining that playbook in executing it and trying to execute it to perfection. But Alabama knew what they were going to do, so to speak. They got some plays, but nothing worth writing home about. And because Alabama was able to dominate the line of scrimmage, you get Alabama once again playing for a national championship. And then you get Michigan and Georgia. What what is there to say? Did Michigan know what time kickoff was? Michigan got blown out down in Miami, 34-11 to to Georgia. This was the game that we thought you were going to have two teams with great offensive and defensive lines that it was going to be old-school NFC North Division football. They were just going to bang heads. There would be a big play here or there, and that would be the determining factor in the outcome. Instead, it was Georgia from the get-go, and Georgia absolutely dominated on the line of scrimmage. When you watch some of some of the plays that have gone viral on social media, and the one play I wish I wish we had a visual component because it's one of those you could, unfortunately for the Michigan Center, I'm sure does not want to see it anymore. But you could show, rewind, and show over and over again. He's pulling. They're setting up a trap. And the defensive lineman for Georgia just drills him and pushes him three yards backwards, which absolutely then blows the play up. And that really, to me, epitomized what the game was. And that's how Georgia comes away with that 34-11. to So what do we get out of it? We get the SEC final, part two. Only this time they're playing for a national championship. Georgia showed a lot against Michigan in that losing to Alabama, they regrouped, they they refocused, so to speak, and came out and absolutely, as we've said time and time again here so far in the last couple of minutes, dominated Michigan. And I kind of thought it would have been the other way. I thought Georgia would have been reeling a little bit, losing to their arch nemesis in Alabama. Michigan finally beating theirs in Ohio State would have been riding this wave of confidence, and yet Georgia absolutely dominated. So, again, next week Monday, we get Georgia-Alabama playing for the national championship. And one other note, we'll run through some scores, but if you think about some of those New Year's Day games, like I was explaining uh, with regards to the college game day uh, viral reaction that took place because of the comments of Desmond Howard and Kurt Herbstreit. If you expand the playoffs, here's here's a dose of what you would have had. You would have in the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State against Notre Dame. That game would have been a playoff game. Oklahoma State wins 37-35. The Rose Bowl would have been a playoff game. Obviously, Ohio State wins 48-45 in what was an epic Rose Bowl. Then at night, you go down to the Sugar Bowl, and Baylor beats Ole Miss 
21 to 7. Now Matt Corral gets hurt. What could have what could have happened had Old Miss had their starting quarterback? Who knows? Because those of us in this part, we know Dave Aranda is a heck of a defensive coordinator. So you know Baylor had schemes ready to roll against Ole Miss. But those three games right there would have added six teams, which meant there would be one more game to throw into the mix. And who that would have been, who knows, because you would have probably ended up with an at-large team or two at-large teams that would have been playing in a bowl game as part of the expanded college football playoff system. But if you would take the Fiesta, the Rose, and the Sugar, those three matchups, add them to what we saw on New Year's Eve, oh my goodness. That, that, you can't tell me that that would not enhance the college football playoff as it stands currently now. It would definitely surpass and enhance what is currently in place. It would also give more teams an opportunity. Think about watching college basketball. Go to Fiserv Forum and see a Marquette game. How many banners are hanging up by Marquette that say Sweet 16? Celebrating the fact they got to the Sweet 16. Think of what teams would do in celebrating making it to the college football playoffs. It would just add another dynamic to the sport. And I think a dynamic that would enhance it. Not deter it, but enhance it. Now, let's go back to Cincinnati. Cincinnati deserves a ton of credit. Yes, they lost. But they deserve a ton of credit for, A, being beyond respectable in that game. I would argue that Cincinnati played better than Michigan. Nobody talking about Michigan, whether or not they deserve to be there. There was a lot of talk about whether Cincinnati did. Cincinnati deserved to be there and played well. They just didn't have the depth again that Alabama does. So now we've had UCF a couple of years ago that was really pounding at the door trying to get in. Cincinnati's now knocked the door down and walked through. It's going to be a couple of years yet before we get another Power 5 team to rise up, so to speak. But their entrance into the playoff will be made easier because of what Cincinnati did. And because of that, Cincinnati deserves a ton of credit, much like UCF deserves a ton of credit for knocking on the door a couple of years ago and showing people that a group of five team could be competitive. So it'll be interesting to see again how this all plays out. But before we move into our next segment, let's talk about the Badgers. Badgers with a 20-13 to 13 win in the Las Vegas Bowl. They beat Arizona State, which is fantastic. I'm glad they won. But I wanted so much more from my Wisconsin Badgers in this game. Graham Mertz was Graham Mertz. And I wanted Graham Mertz to have a coming out party much like he did in his first game against Illinois. But Graham Mertz, 11 of 15 for 137 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He gave you flashes again, bits and pieces of why he's so highly thought of. And then we got to see some of the eh 
that we've seen throughout this and last season. And the problem is that eh, is more than those flashes of brilliance. That needs to be flipped. Braylon Allen, the bowl MVP, 29 attempts, 159 yards. He was Braylon Allen. The most remarkable thing you can say about the Badgers in that game was in the fourth quarter where they sustained a drive for nine minutes and 53 seconds, forced Arizona State to use all three of their timeouts, went essentially the length of the field, and ran the clock out. Held on to the ball and ran the clock out. Now, there was one play within that drive where you went, whoa, Graham Mertz. I think it was a 28-yard completion where he absolutely stood in the pocket, delivered a dime, and got drilled. And he went, yep, that right there is the reason why coming into Wisconsin, he was so highly touted. But those little specks of brilliance are too far and too in between to have you excited right now with where he's at. So I'll say this again. When it comes to Wisconsin, we need to put an offensive coordinator in place that matches the level of our defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard. It's time for Paul Chris. I don't want Paul Chris fired. Let, let, let's just sidestep for one second. Think about all the players that decided to play in this bowl game. Think about all the players that did not opt out that could have. Think about this team, how unified they are, how they play for their coach. Paul Chris may not be the greatest PR person. He may not give the greatest speeches to the press, but those kids play for Paul Chris. Paul Chris, however, the offense seems stagnant. So I would love to see the Badgers bring in an offensive coordinator and maybe that offensive coordinator has experience with elevating quarterbacks and trying to see if we can get Graham Mertz to take that next step, if we can figure out a way to get that offense going again, to be a little more versatile than just running off tackle time and time again. That's where I think the Badgers need to go. And thinking about it, the only person I keep coming to is Daryl Bevel. We love to keep things in Madison within the family. Paul Chris as a head coach, Jim Leonard as a defensive coordinator. Why not test the waters on Daryl Bevel and see if you can't get Daryl Bevel to come back home? Daryl Bevel is now the interim coach, obviously, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Daryl Bevel will not be the head coach of Jacksonville. He will be one of those that will be looking for a job after next week once the firings start taking place. Why not test the waters with Daryl Bevel, who knows Wisconsin, who knows offense as a quarterback himself, knows how to teach that position? I just think it would be a great move to see Paul Christ with Jim Leonard and Daryl Bevel working and moving through the Big Ten, I just think it would help elevate the program. All right, 
So that wraps up the world of college football again next week. The college championship takes place on Monday night between Alabama and Georgia. And then moving forward, now we start really talking about college basketball as we've gone into 2022. And we'll pick up the world of Marquette and the Badgers again, as well as UWM, as well as some of the Division Three schools. We have three Division Three schools right now ranked in the top ten in the country. Platteville, Oshkosh, Lacrosse, all ranked in the top 10 right now nationally. So we'll highlight some of those schools as well as we move forward. All right, one more segment to get to. And on the other side of the segment, we got to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, who have kicked off the 2022 year in spectacular fashion, who are starting to now kind of find their groove a little bit, even within the midst of COVID protocols and injuries, as we start taking that push towards defending our championship. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks right after this. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks as we get set to wrap up today's podcast. The Bucks kicking off the new year with a win at the Pfizer Forum. They take down the New Orleans Pelicans 136 to 113. The headline, however, once again is Giannis, who goes for 35 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists, picks up another triple double. We're seeing guys like Jordan Wara, who had 23 points and 5 of 7 from three-point range. Bobby Portis being Bobby Portis. Drew Holiday playing well. This team, again, has added some components that are making it extra special trying to defend their world championship. You've got guys, obviously, like Brooke Lopez that hasn't been able to come back because of back surgery. Um, we've seen now the Bucks sign Luke Cornett to a 10-day hardship contract from the Cleveland Cavaliers because of Brooke Lopez and a couple other guys being down because of protocol. The team continues to move forward, and yet we've not seen this team necessarily at full strength. When we think of this team at full strength, we think of Giannis and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. There is some gaudy stat out there that when those three have played together this year, the Bucks are something like 19-0 and or 19-2, and and yet they get a big win against New Orleans on New Year's Day, and Chris Middleton was not part of the group. So once this team really comes back together and makes that final push, I think they're a scary group once again in the East, and I think... Looking at some of these other teams in the East, obviously the Nets, the 76ers, the Celtics, Miami, the the group that's been around now for the last few years, I'll, I'll put my money on the Bucs. I, I think when this team gets back together, when they are going to be as healthy as they're going to be and make that playoff, ru- uh, that playoff push, excuse me, People better look out because the Bucks are really, I think, poised to go back-to-back this year. The Bucks will take on the Detroit Pistons 
tonight. And so there'll be another opportunity to see our Milwaukee Bucks in action. All right, that'll wrap it up for this Monday. Thank you so much again for joining us on the podcast. Please hit the like, subscribe button, whether it's at the top or bottom of your screen, wherever you can find it, we would appreciate it. I'm Don Wachillis. Have yourself a fantastic week ahead. (laughs) 